Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We're In Social Work. I'm your host, Peter Sabota. Thanks for downloading more than 300,000 of our podcasts. We'd love it if you took a minute to tell us what you like or don't like about them and what you'd like to see us do next. If you're an educator and you are using our podcasts in your courses, please let us know how. I know some of you are, as I've seen them on course syllabi out there. So let us know. We'd be thrilled to hear from you. Hello. My name is Charles Sims, and I am the host of this episode of In Social Work. The National Cancer Institute estimates that over 1.6 million people were diagnosed with cancer in the United States in 2012. In recent years, there have been great strides made in the diagnosis and treatment of all types of cancer. As a result, in general, cancer death rates have fallen and long-term survival rates continue to increase. This is especially true for children and for those after age 40. However, for those in their mid-teens to mid-30s, the news has not been as positive. Dr. Barbara Jones is an associate professor and co-director of the Institute for Grief, Loss, and Family Survival in the School of Social Work at the University of Texas at Austin. There, she also holds a courtesy appointment with the Center for Women and Gender Studies. Dr. Jones's social work practice experience has included 15 years as a clinical social worker with homeless and runaway adolescents, bereaved parents, grieving children, and children with life-threatening illnesses. She has also been involved in community organizing and policy work around HIV and AIDS and healthcare needs of children. She has held administrative positions in programs that provide services to pediatric cancer patients. Dr. Jones is the president-elect of the Association of Pediatric Oncology Social Workers and a steering committee member of the Network of Social Workers in Palliative and End-of-Life Care. Dr. Jones consults and lectures nationally and internationally on issues of pediatric palliative care, grief and loss, and the role of social work in healthcare. Her latest research endeavor is a study of the meaning of surviving cancer for Hispanic and Latino adolescents, and it is funded by a grant from the Center for Health Promotion Research at the University of Texas at Austin School of Nursing. In this episode, Dr. Jones discusses the developmental and psychosocial effects of cancer on adolescents and young adults. Dr. Jones speaks to the need to understand the unique needs of the adolescent and young adult. She also explains how these unique needs can complicate the continuum of care as well as important developmental processes. Further, Dr. Jones suggests strategies of intervention to consider when working with this population. Dr. Jones was interviewed by Tony Guzman, Director of the School of Social Work's online programs. 
I'm Tony Guzman, Director of Online Programs at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Here with me to talk about psychosocial and health promotion needs of adolescent and young adult cancer survivors is Dr. Barbara Jones. Dr. Jones, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your current research? Sure. My research is really dedicated to understanding the needs of both children and adolescents and young adults with cancer and their families. So I look at how do individuals this young who've gone through a cancer experience make meaning out of that experience, form an identity, integrate that experience into who they are today, and then what can we do as social workers to best help them and their families survive and thrive? Excellent. And so what prompted you, Dr. Jones, to get involved in this line of work or what sparked your interest? Well, I'm a bit of an accidental researcher, as some of us are. I was a clinical social worker for many years, and my real passion was working in pediatric oncology. So in that role, I worked with children who were diagnosed with cancer and their families. And one of the things that I noticed was that for the adolescents, it was a very unique developmental stage to have to go through cancer treatment because they were at that time, as we expect, when they would be branching out and pulling away from their family and forming who they are, and then to have a life-threatening diagnosis during that time really interrupts what's happening for them and caused a unique set of concerns that I became increasingly interested in helping and understanding better. I think that lays in perfectly to finding out what is it important for us or to study adolescents and young adults who are battling with cancer? Well, as I was just saying, they're a unique group in terms of their developmental stage. But it's also true that, and the NCI would report this, that for adolescent and young adult cancer survivors, NCI defines that group as 15 to 39-year-olds. But even if we focus at the younger group there, that while cure rates have gone up for pediatric cancers and cure rates have gone up for other adult cancers, there is a real gap right in the middle. So we are really needing to focus on how do we improve cure and care for adolescents and young adults with cancer. And then you add to that that there are some very unique challenges that this group faces. Part of the reason that the cure rates are lower is that this group of young people, if you think about a 17-year-old, that person may be treated at a pediatric center or they may be treated at an adult center. So the protocol that they're treated on is not necessarily consistent. We're in pediatric cancer is part of the reason that we have seen an increase in cure rates, and we've seen dramatic cure rate increases in the past few decades. Some cancers are 80, 90% curable upon diagnosis is because we have controlled studies that tell us how to really target cancer therapies. And so for the adolescent young adult group, it's such a wide range and they're not all treated in the same consistent settings. So they often have different rates of cure. Also, we have a low suspicion of cancer in this young group. So if a 22 year old is having a pain in their leg, the doctor may really understandably say, well, you need to stretch more after you finish your athletic activities, when in fact it could be the signs and symptoms of an osteosarcoma, but we may not expect that because cancer suspicion is super low in young people because it's really rare. So then what or how are their identity and social relationships for this group of young adults and adolescents affected? There really are some unique psychosocial challenges that this young group faces, not the least of which is school and work difficulties. So if you think about how important the peer group is in the adolescent and young adult developmental 
time frame to be pulled out of that peer group is very difficult. And so they often report feeling isolated, feeling like they missed out on some major developmental milestones, feeling a little cheated about that, feeling like they lost friends. And then so when they get to a place that they have survived, then they say, well, really, the past three years, I've been hanging out with the nurses at the hospital. So i am really got more friends and I'm better at relating to people much older than me, but I also missed out some important steps. So when I get back into my peer group, I don't quite know how to enter. And I've had this very unique experience that, and here's the paradox, sometimes makes young people seem very wise beyond their years because they've had to cope with something that is atypical, developmentally atypical, off time, you would say. And yet they're also young because they've been isolated from their peer group. So this paradox presents itself. So peer difficulties can exist for some time. The research shows us that It's not uncommon for this group of young people to experience social stigma, to have signs and symptoms of depression, anxiety, even some PTSD, difficulty transitioning to adult health care systems because perhaps during their earlier care, their care was directed by their parents, but now they may have physical and psychological late effects. So they need to track their care. They need to understand how perhaps their cardiac function was affected by their treatment but they're not used to having to drive that system and find the right providers who can help them. Sexuality issues, relationship issues, challenges with identity. Sometimes we see this group of young people after treatment engage in risky health behaviors, again, almost because they missed that developmental stage of trying on risky behaviors. And now they're 25 and it feels like now is the time to do that. It's very interesting. And it brings to mind a question kind of going to my side of the world in online programs. Would you say, and does research show that adolescents and young adults that are cancer survivors, are they more prone to continue their education in an online environment because they may find themselves possibly fitting in better? Well, one of the things that we have seen, I don't know about the education specifically, although it is a really intriguing research and clinical question, but we have seen that online support programs have been very important for this group of young people. In fact, I'm a part of a team of researchers here at UT where we are looking right now at the online communication of AYAs when they're seeking support from each other. So there's been a couple of incredible online support programs, one of which that we're studying is Planet Cancer that is designed specifically for adolescents and young adults. And so they seek support from each other online. And we're beginning to try to understand how is the support different, similar, what are they getting, what helps, what doesn't, and then how do we design programs. Excellent. And so what can social workers offer in this area to meet these challenges? That's a good question. I mean, I think one, being aware of the unique set of challenges and also having being willing to ask about a young person's cancer experience. So this is not just for oncology social workers. If a social worker is working in any setting to find out if a young person has had some experience with cancer, either their own or a family member's, which is another whole discussion we could have, but to be willing to ask the questions so that we can probe a bit and find out, is this something that they're struggling with? One of the things that my research has shown is that This group of young people, again, post-cancer, part of what they're doing is struggling with this identity integration. So 
who am I now? Am I a cancer survivor? Am I a person who had cancer? When do I disclose that? How do I integrate that? What about if I'm forming a new relationship? When do I let somebody know, you know what? I had cancer and this is how it's affected me psychologically, physically. They need social work support to talk through all of those issues and all of the meaning-making issues that come up. They also need social workers to help them identify perhaps other people and that they can connect with because the need to belong is very strong. So being able to get support as a survivor and to increase the relationships that they have that enhance their health and well-being. Are there some practical implications of this research towards practice, policy, social work, education, and even future research? Well, I hope so. <laughs> we always want our research to have practical implications. But one of the ways that I'm really seeing practice influenced by this type of research, mine and others, I'm a part of a great group of people who are really dedicated to studying and understanding and improving care for this group of young people, is that more and more we're seeing specialized clinics crop up for adolescents and young adults so that when they receive their treatment, they are neither in the waiting room with all the Highlights magazines and Elmo, nor are they in the waiting room with the AARP magazines, <laughs> that perhaps they're getting treated somewhere in the middle there with a group of providers that is uniquely dedicated to both their medical needs and their psychosocial needs that gets it, if you will. And that we're also seeing that in survivorship clinics. So there are a lot of programs being developed in this country. I would actually say that internationally, some places like England and Australia may be even a little ahead of us in terms of developing some of these services. And so there is an Adolescent Young Adult Alliance that has formed that is here in the United States and brings in international folks as well, where we take all this research and we look together to say, how do we improve care? And one of the ways is we've learned is specialized clinics, support and connection with others who can help being aware that there may be some need for specialized programs to help with school and work reintegration, issues of fertility and sexuality, and being able to talk about those issues, influencing policy so that this group of young people has access to healthcare. Part of the reason that the cure rates are not as well is that this is the group that is the most likely to be uninsured or underinsured. So there are some real policy implications there. And certainly in social work education, I am passionate about making sure that we include information about adolescents and young adults with cancer in their families. And so what could be done, because as you mentioned earlier in the interview, at many a times the diagnosis isn't really found if a young teenager goes into their doctor saying that they had some pain in their leg or their thigh and may not be thought that off top of their head, oh, I must do some tests to see if there might be something more serious at hand. How do we educate the medical community, the health community, in being able to try to catch, because I would assume that the earlier a diagnosis can be made, the higher the survival rate for the teenager, is that correct? Absolutely, so whenever we can diagnose earlier, we can treat earlier, and one of the ways I'm a part of a group, and I think I'm not alone. There are groups in a variety of settings that are working very hard to educate general practitioners. So not just the oncology professionals, but the general practitioners who may or may not consider cancer in this young group to raise the awareness of that. And what are the survival rates at this point in time? Well, survival rates vary tremendously for this group, but we do see that it's lower than in the geriatric or in the pediatric setting. For yourself, Dr. Jones, what's next for you? What are you continuing to do in your research? Well, next, I'm really focused on intervention research. So 
now that we understand what these needs are, the next step is, of course, to improve care. So working with other teams to say, how do we make sure that early on we're addressing all the psychosocial and health promotion needs for this young group? Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Jones, for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Dr. Barbara Jones discuss the impact of cancer on the psychosocial development of adolescents and young adulthood. Additionally, Dr. Jones offered information on the scope of this problem as well as the role of social work in addressing it. This is your host, Charles Sims. Please join us again at In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.